When Treebeard had got a few arrows in him, he began to warm up, to get positively hasty, as he would say. He let out a great hoom-hom, and a dozen more ants came striding up. An angry ant is terrifying. Their fingers and their toes just freeze onto rock, and they tear it up like bread crust. It was like watching the work of great tree roots in a hundred years, all packed into a few moments. They pushed, pulled, tore, shook, and hammered, and clang-bang, crash-crack. In five minutes, they had these huge gates just lying in ruin, and some were already beginning to eat into the walls, like rabbits in a sand pit. I don't know what Saruman thought was happening, but anyway, he did not know how to deal with it. His wizardry may have been falling off lately, of course, but anyway, I think he has not much grit, not much plain courage alone in a tight place, without a lot of slaves and machines and things, if you know what I mean. Very different from old Gandalf. I wonder if his fame was not all along mainly due to his cleverness in settling at Isengard. The Way Lesser Inklings podcast attempts to pay homage to the great writers, thinkers, and philosophers of the 20th century known as the Inklings, and to try to inspire a love for reading literature and finding the good, the true, and the beautiful in the written word. Welcome back to the Way Lesser Inklings podcast. My name is Josh Rice, and with me again is my brother Jake. Hey. There he is. We are your co-hosts for this journey, and today is a really interesting chapter. It's called Flotsam and Jetsam. I think that we both agreed that in some ways it's a little bit lighter than some other chapters in the sense that I don't I don't see a huge amount of really deep meanings. It's it's kind of about friends and fellowship and that sort of thing. Um, I broke the thing up, so what I'll do is I think I'll kick it to you to give us a little bit of the uh, what happens in this chapter and then and then I'll I'll kind of come back and give us the backbone and structure and we'll get cracking from there. So yeah. go ahead. All right. Yeah, so uh Theoden and the and Gandalf and company um have come. They're going to find Treebeard and so uh they basically the three hunters um which we haven't been calling them that for <laughs> a little while, but <laughs> but they break apart uh, to to fellowship with Merry and Pippin, and they so they sit down to um, to a pretty nice meal uh, and a and a smoke, and uh, basically recount. So it, the story doesn't give it to us; it's just an overview that Merry and Pippin recount their time with the orcs and confirm some of the suspicions that we had read about earlier, um, and then they. They give us the story of um, of the ants' assault on Isengard, uh, and so um, there's there's a bit to do there, um, but basically just the the approach and the and the battle. And so Tolkien's kind of filling us in on why Isengard is overrun and soaking wet, uh, and <laughs> um, and then there's a little uh, then there's a little interlude with Wormtongue, who had showed up the same morning as the king's company. Um, and some observations there. Uh, and so, um, I think really narrative structure wise, I think that's, that's kind of, that's it. Um, a little bit of, it's a lot of filling in the gaps of what they had been doing during Helm's Deep. Yeah, it does. It does really feel like one of those chapters where it's kind of a, a pause. Let's collect ourselves before we move on to the next thing. And, the next thing is going to be pretty momentous, you know, as we mm-hmm. as we move to the last two chapters of this book. Um, so structure wise, I kept it pretty simple. Like I don't I don't see a lot of of you know place or time themes or anything like that. What I basically see is that we have the setup of 
Marion Pittman, Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn all sitting together eating. And there's some there's some interplay that's going on with them. So I call that the friends. And then we get the majority of the chapter, which is talking about the Battle of Isengard and and recounting what the Ents did and, and also kind of tying up some loose ends with how a mobile forest ended up at Helm's Deep, like that kind of thing. And then... Like you said, I, so I, I call that just the Battle of Isengard or the Ents. So we got the friends, mm-hmm. the Ents, and then we do have this this thing with Wormtongue, and it's really part of their story, but they get asked specifically about it, um, and and I think it's important because Wormtongue sheds some light on, I think, some worldview. We we get a lot of worldview in each part, but you got to dig a little bit for it, and so I'm I'm excited to do that and starting out. With the friends, I I do think that we mm-hmm. pick up kind of where we left off with some themes that we talked about last week, where this this ribbing is still going on. So mm-hmm. so Mary and Pippin have basically scouted out Saruman's um, plunder, essentially. Well, the stuff they care about, which is going to be food and pipeweed, and mm-hmm. and so they've they've kind of scouted that out, and they've been sitting around eating and. And that sort of thing. And so they're going to show hospitality to Gimli and Aragorn and Legolas. And there's a lot of talk about Gimli. Gimli got hit in the head at Helm's Deep, you know, and he's he keeps talking to the hobbits about how they owe him a debt because he chased them all across creation and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's the interlude. It's, it's how friends talk to each other. And I think there I was going to open up because I do have some comments about like Mary and Pippin's growing wisdom that we have some Mm -hmm. hints of in this scene, but I'll give you opening Mm -hmm. observations too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think similar things like I think the big kind of the big thing is that kind of keeps coming back is Gimli, uh, you know, settling a score with them, um, which by the end of, you know, by the end of their feasting, he, he feels he owes them a debt. (laughs) Um, and so there's some fun interplay. I think, um, you know, as we jump in, uh, and again, I think it is, it's, it's right. It's this, the three hunters have spent a lot of effort to find their friends, right. And in some sense, they've, they abandoned the primary quest that they were sent out on, Mm-hmm. Um, for the for the sake of for the sake of fellowship and um, and we get to see I think like we get to see the um, the joy of the reunion here that that the friendships are are real lasting and deep um, and we've seen that we've seen that with with Gimli and Legolas but we get to we get to see it again with just even the way they observe things about each other like the hobbit's hair is thicker that they might be taller mm-hmm. you know the and we can get into more of that like because even in the hobbits talk about aragorn looking like strider again you know when he's he's kind of been offering us a different role in in the last few chapters and so like the things that friends observe about each other mm-hmm. and and also that they, they don't even in that is like they don't just observe it and be quiet they observe it and talk about it mm-hmm yeah, I I would jump off that, and it's a good transition, I think, to talk about Merry and Pippin a little bit more particularly because they fade into the background a lot. Um, this is this is really, in some ways, their chapter where they they really get to shine, and I and I think they do. There's there's some things that jumped out to me. One of them is that that Mary says. Um, We've had enough of orcs to last a lifetime, but there are many other folk in Isengard. Saruman kept enough wisdom not to trust his orcs. 
He had men to guard his gates, some of his most faithful servants, I suppose. Anyway, they were favored and got good provisions. So this kind of goes along with Mary. Mary's figuring out and kind of knows who his enemy is. But at the same time, I, I'm trying to imagine the scene. Like if I was four foot tall and I'm riding on the back of this, you know, I don't know, 20 foot tall int, and you go into this fortress where there's all these holes and smokes and stuff everywhere, and they start ripping down the walls that we'll find out they do. And then it shows a lot of wherewithal that Mary and Pippin don't just like cower behind Treebeard all the time, that they actually get out and about, and they're trying to scout out the land. And I I think that that's really interesting. It kind of jumps out. And also, the way he gets settled the score with Gimli is not only by feeding him, but he shows them the long bottom leaf that they found in Saruman's, which is weird, right? That Saruman has pipeweed from the Shire, and Gimli doesn't have a pipe, but but Pippin has one on him mm-hmm. and gives it to him, and that's where Gimli says he's in his doubt. I think it shows like this this juxtaposition that's going with hobbits all the time, which is that they they really do have an eye towards that next meal and that next time that they're going to be able to fellowship and sit together. They kind of carry it in hope, but also they're, they're not afraid to go out and scrounge and try to get stuff done. And I think it's a really good picture of how the hobbits work. Did you have anything Mm -hmm. there? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think um, I noticed like the only thing that basically that, that sort of stumps their courage is being spotted by Saruman and I think it's, I think, um, cause when, to your point is like, they're not, they're not just riding around on tree beard or hiding. Like they're, they're exploring the grounds, which is still a dangerous thing to do mm-hmm. for several reasons, because there's flooding everywhere. Like there could be enemies behind any door, um, you know, but they're, they're left to it and they, and they stay after it. Um, but I, I think, I think though, the, the power of, you know, I think the, the, the mystery of wizardry or just of not fully understanding his power. Like they definitely have the wisdom, like you said, of, um, of gathering that Saruman isn't a fool to just trust everything to orcs. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also don't fully understand the depth of his power and they comment and Aragorn, Aragorn gives some guidance. And so I think they are wise to try to stay out of the view of Saruman too, because, because it's an enemy that they don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I think there it it probably for now does start to pivot towards their stories of the ints. There's a couple of things. There's there's one thing I want to know. It, it jumped out when I read it because the language is so strange. Um, when they're when they're looking around for pipes for Gimli because Mary Mary doesn't have one. He says that they hadn't found any. He says Saruman kept this dainty to himself. It seems meaning meaning the pipe weed. Um, mm-hmm. I think you know that that language gets used very similarly in a couple of chapters. I think when and, and I think what happens is Sauron says something along the lines of "Tell Saruman that these dainties are not for him," and he's and mm-hmm. Sauron is talking about hobbits. Now mm-hmm. I do know the professor is careful enough that that's probably in there on purpose, and I think that. And, and also being that the dainty that he's talking about is something that comes from the Shire, which is this pipeweed. Mm-hmm. I think I think we're going to get a thing here that that Saruman and Sauron see the hobbits as being so insignificant that they're they're almost 
they're they're compared to pipeweed in the mm-hmm. in the chapter, which you know pipeweed is fun. I'm not going to say that pipeweed is useless, but I am mm-hmm. going to say as far as utility goes, like pipeweed's not really bringing much utility to anybody. It's just kind of a parcel, you know, and that's and I, I think that they see that. But then we have on the other side we have Legolas and Gimli and Aragorn who have been dying to see them again, you know, who mm-hmm. who chased a band of orcs that was, you know, there was 200 orcs. Like, what would have happened if they had found them? I don't know. But they didn't care because they had to chase their friends. It's it's just another one of those black and white pictures. It's in there, but it's one of those pictures of how different evil is. Evil is looking for pure power and utility out of people, while mm-hmm. virtuous men are trusting in relationships and friendship. And I, mm-hmm. I didn't really want that yeah. to slide by because Pippin almost is, is a hinge point. That's kind of how Pippin has started to talk about the Ents too. They're not things to him. They're mm-hmm. right. And and yeah. so I'll I'll let you kind of close that because I'm I'm probably ready to jump. Yeah, I have uh, so one comment to that, and then one thing that I had observed in here, and and one is that I think also that the idea of dainties um, is like they the. Um, the hobbits see the pipeweed as as a vehicle for like for fellowship and pleasure, mm-hmm. and so so like this dainty is right. It's not valuable to their quest to what they have to do, but it's it is a it is a a respite sort of thing for enjoyment. And so to think of that, to, to think of using that word the same way with Sauron to the hobbits is pretty, is pretty gross. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's like that his purpose is to use them to torture them for his enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I do think, I do think that, that Tolkien's using that word similarly um, for us to, to latch onto, but, but to your point also is to juxtapose the evil uh, from the good that mm-hmm. their enjoyment is to sit and be calm and catch up with friends. And Sauron's enjoyment is to crush and destroy, yep. um, which we talked about just repeatedly. Um, but it, it's, it's still there. And I think it's just like that worldview is, is such a stark reminder of like the, the, the lack of neutral in the world. Like you can, maybe you don't always see the roots of what the evil is up to, but the evil is up to destroying us. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely true. I think it's something that's going on here, you know, it, it, and that's why he uses words like that is because, mm-hmm. it, again, it's subtle, but it, it is a strange word, right? And it and it's one that we haven't seen a lot of, and it draws attention. and And obviously, like it's been a while since I read this, but I remembered clearly where Sauron mm-hmm. said that because mm-hmm. it's an evocative line. And then when and I did not remember it here. Right, I, I remember Pippin and Mary kind of joking around, but it drew a lot of attention to it. Mm-hmm. So, are you ready for it? Yeah. I had one more okay. thing, and it, it probably is a good. It's a good transition too, because it, it it's related. But um, there's a there's a small section when they're um, observing that you know it seems like the hobbits have kind of filled out again, and Gimli says, you know, Treebeard at any rate has not starved you, and Mary says he has not, but Ents only drink. And drink is not enough for content. Mm. Treebeard's drafts may be nourishing, but one feels the need of something solid. And so I, I, I kind of I marked that line because it's kind of interesting. And but I think it's also suggestive of like they're still they're still getting what they need, 
right nourishment to survive and they're growing strong again. Um, and yet, uh, and yet it's not enough because, because contentment does come from the table that sharing a meal with friends. And we, I think, and we did talk, we've talked about this one with, with these, the worldviews about friendships that we discuss often in these, these books, Mm -hmm. um, is, is that, is that the table is one of the primary places where friendship, uh, blossoms and grows and, you know, and sustains. And so I think that's, I think it's not just, I, I, yeah, I mean, there is an element of like, if you were just drinking water and you had a cheeseburger, that'd be gratifying. But I do think it's something deeper than that. Is it that the, the solid food is the place where you, you gather with friends. Yeah. And he's gonna, he's gonna use even Limbus in a way that, that the characters describe Limbus as being really good. Like it's pleasant. Um, I think Gimli remarks when he gets it, oh, it's like cram, which was kind of this mm-hmm. like dry bread that Lake Town gave. And he takes a bite and he, he's like, man, that is delicious. He quickly ate the whole thing. But we will get the characters talking about like they, they want to eat something else. And so Tolkien, I think, is drawing a distinction between the utility of just getting fuel versus mm-hmm. versus the longing and I don't think it's an accident that this is mixed in with pipe weed and all that kind of stuff. The longing to sit down and to have a meal and to for there to be a craft in it, you know, mm-hmm. where somebody's laid laid it out. Because that's what's going on here is Mary and Pippin take time to start a fire and to lay this stuff out for their friends who have, you know, it's it's a gratitude thing also. And and I, I wouldn't want to miss it. And Treebeard was showing kindness by giving giving these drinks to the hobbits because that would have been an unusual thing. Cause I mean, even Aragorn says that lots of strange tales have been told about the land. Like you've, you've gone in there and strange things have happened, right? Mm-hmm. They've, they've gotten taller. They seem, we'll, we'll note later that they are uncommonly large and strong looking for hobbits. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's the pivot point because they start to ask about, about, you know, Aragorn asked the hobbits about the ants and he's like, tell me about the ants. And Pippin starts it really strangely. He he starts bumbling around. He says, ants, well, ants are all different for one thing. But their eyes now, their eyes are very odd. He tried a few fumbling words that trailed off into silence. It's it's almost like words fail him. But, but it's interesting to me that the first thing he says about ants is basically that they are people, right? Mm-hmm. That That they're all different. Like they're not, they're not a herd of monsters, you know. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not just an indistinguishable bunch of trees where the only difference is that one's an oak and that one's an elm, so on and so forth. But then the second thing is something that we have looked at a lot in Treebeard, is that he talks about their eyes and he can't really describe it. And I think that's probably going to drive what we're going to say about the battle at Isengard because it it mm-hmm. really is what. What is it about the Ents that make them so different, so powerful, such a force that, that also was just completely ignored by Saruman, even though he's their mm-hmm. neighbor and he's been chopping their trees down and he used to talk to Treebeard? I, I think mm-hmm. those are the burning questions I got there. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I agree. I think, and it's interesting like that, that, you know, that the eyes are, um, you know, the eyes are often used in literature to convey like deep wisdom or deep or understanding 
or even other, you know, other attributes like malice and anger and things like that. And so like for that, that to be the, the hallmark of the ints, I think is, is remarkable. And, you know, and, and to, to suggest that, that, you know, because you can't explain them, like (laughs) he, he's, you know, his early description is like they're deep wells, um, you know, and, and so there's like, so we see, like, we see this element of wisdom and slowness, but a wisdom, right, a wisdom built through, uh, you know, through centuries of, <laughs> of experience and, and, you know, even like, even Quickbeam, who's the hasty one, you know, would suggest like, still has that same, like, patience and calmness and you know slowness to move um that you know that's that's kind of the hallmark of of who they are and and really where their power does lie Mm. yeah and then and and here we get there's almost a diverging tale of the ints right because we have we have like i don't know for lack of a better word we'll call them tree beards boys or the ints proper Mm -hmm. And then we have mm-hmm. the Heworns, and mm-hmm. they're going to do different things, right? We've been introduced to the Heworns, but not by name. The Heworns are the the mobile forest from mm-hmm. last chapter that have, <laughs> yep. that are that are basically, you know, Legolas describes them as breathtakingly angry, right? But at the same time, he hears their voices, and Legolas that spurs this longing for him to go to Fangorn. So the Heworns. I think at first blush, you know, they're the ones that go to Helm's Deep and basically just massacre a bunch of orcs, right? But that, and it could be easy for us to write off the Heworns as just being a, almost a deus, however you say that, deus es machina or whatever, like like a a plot device, (laughs) like, oh, great, like this marauding band of moving trees goes and just whacks 10,000 orcs and saves the day. But I think Tolkien does different than that. He's wanting to say something with it because the voices of those trees inspire Legolas to want to go visit Fangorn and see its mysteries and its magic. But right. also as, as Treebeard's talking about, he won't tell the hobbits much about them except that there's lots of them and that they, they may have been ints that have kind of become more like trees. Now they're, they're sleepy in a way, but this mm-hmm. wrong, I think was so wrong what Saruman mm-hmm. and the orcs were doing, that it even woke up the sleepiest, you know, in a way, aren't Heworns kind of a creature that may be trying to, basically kind of trying to die, be taken off the field. But mm-hmm. but this, this treachery is so bad that it even wakes them up into a frenzy. Easier mm-hmm. to understand with the Ents, kind of harder with the Heworns, and then they go and they they really do all the killing that night. Because mm-hmm. the ints themselves do very little of that; they're mostly just tearing down the fortress. Mm-hmm. And maybe I jumped ahead and did what Gimli said and started in the middle, but <laughs> but it is interesting that Merry and Pippin are kind yeah. of jumping around too, and they start with this yeah. immediately. Like there's these Heworns because they were scary, right? Right. Well, and it's and it's you know they're the ones too that in the tactics of the assault on Isengard is the Heworns are the ones that are surrounding the wall and taking positions around the wall. Um, and, you know, and then, and then they, you know, and then they, uh, as the orcs empty Isengard for Helm's Deep, 
they they go with them mm. you know and there and there's a and i think there's a big line in that is that I, I don't have it marked maybe you do but essentially it's treebeard saying you know that you know the 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 heworns um have business with the orcs but the but treebeard's business is with isengard mm-hmm. um you know and it's suggestive too i think of that that difference of the characters is that is that there's a like the real enemy is in Isengard mm-hmm. to Treebeard, and that's the that's the wealth of his wisdom. Knowing that look, the orcs the orcs are pawns of of Saruman's. Um, the the you know the enemy that's that's done the true wrong is Saruman. Like the orcs are evil, and you know we we in the Urukai chapter got to spend a lot of time on on that and what they are, and and they're despicable creatures, but. But they're doing the bidding of of their master, and 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 I think the Heworns don't understand that, and mm-hmm. Treebeard does. Yeah, I did. I do think it shows it it shows a distinction in the wisdom because because the Heworns here, I think that you'll agree that the Ents in this chapter are once again described as being um, under control, strategic, wise, tactical. But the Heworns are not described that way. The Heworns are described as being queer and wild and dangerous, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and I think there is some element of like why does Tolkien why does Tolkien specifically write the Heworns doing all the all the killing? And I think that is because it, you know it even recalls his buddy C.S. Lewis who was talking about Aslan being dangerous, right? I don't think this is like Aslan dangerous in Narnia. This this is more like kind of a a virtuous, a, a somewhat like kind of good guys that don't want to be messed with. But if you mess with them, they, and they get mad, they go way too far. I'm not saying they went mm-hmm. too far, but I am saying that there's a rage. Cause even, even after the deed is done, that's when Legolas is riding through him, right? Like they've, mm-hmm. they've handled the orcs, like the score yeah. is settled. And he says still that he feels just suffocating anger and malice. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's a sign that, you know, it's interesting. He t- he talks about them being in the dark parts of the forest, you know, and and so I think that that's this indication that Fangorn, which is translated to to Treebeard, right, or Entwood, like Treebeard mm-hmm. calls himself Fangorn. Fangorn is a really dangerous, magical place. It's not really dangerous because of the Ents. It's really more dangerous because it is queer and wild. And has mm-hmm. this immense power, and so, so it needs shepherds, so that it doesn't, you know, become become a place that just kills or that mm-hmm. that chokes out life. And I think that's the that's the analogy, and it's the same thing that Bombadil is doing with the old forest, right? Because the old forest also gets angry at people that go through it, and so mm-hmm. it needs it needs a caretaker that can come in and rein in the bad influences. And I, I think we see that. I don't think the Heworns are given a, they're not given a personification like old man Willow in the old forest chapter, but they are given this, that, that they are voices very clearly. They do speak that the, that the ants can talk to them and understand what they're doing, but they're this marauding band and, and they go and, but, but they get pointed in the right direction because that's what Gandalf mm-hmm. comes and he, that's kind of his plan. Right. And Treebeard sends them, off towards mm-hmm. Helm's Deep, and they—it's this. Their anger is pointed in the right direction, but that's not the way Treebeard and the Ents work. 
right? Yeah. They they are slower and tactical, and they are they're patient, and mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to that. I think that is maybe maybe the line of the chapter because I do think the distinction between the Heworns and the Ents is one of the main themes of this chapter, and it is. He's you know. Um, the way it is, is, is that I think Mary fills in the gaps and he says, I think that the Heworn's business was with the orcs, mm-hmm. but Trevere very clearly says his business is with Isengard. And then very interestingly with rock mm-hmm. and stone, mm-hmm. right? Not, not to go kill. I don't, I don't think yeah. Treebeard had any intention of killing Saruman to yeah. come in here and do that. He had the intention of destroying the fortress yeah. basically neutralizing the military threat of Saruman. If he doesn't have a fortress and he doesn't have forges and he doesn't have land, then he can't do anything. He's just a madman mm-hmm. locked in a tower essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good, I think that's a good place to um, kind of transition to the tactics of the ints. Cause mm-hmm. there's, I think there's some things to talk about there. Yep. Right. So um, I'll try to sum it up and essentially as they move and I've kind of, touched on it right they they sort of surround isengard and the ints station themselves around the wall um and and they wait (laughs) and it's interesting that they wait um you know and it at some point uh their their patience is rewarded because all of isengard is emptied um and you know and once that happens they start tearing you know tearing into the walls and you know, there's some there's some awesome descriptions about how right they they tear the stone like you would tear you know tear bread mm-hmm. like their you know their power is uh their physical power is on display here that the trees are the trees are 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 stronger than the stone or that kind of to that line from treebeard is that right the stone is their enemy and they're they're relentless mm-hmm. <laughs> in their assault on the stone um you know, and then as they as they break in, a lot of the ints, you know, there is some there's some there are still uh, enemies within that shoot that are shooting them with arrows or trying to burn them and things like that. But ultimately, that's really not the deterrent. Um, they converge on the Tower of Orthanc, and many of the ints throw themselves, you know, at the tower to try and break it down with no success. And Treebeard calls them off, and then they retreat from the tower um, and really move away from the wall and start digging trenches, mm-hmm. um, you know, and essentially kind of that same point. It's like they're, so what they're doing is they're digging a trench back to the river Eisen and they flood, you know, they flood the, the fortress of Isengard. Um, and, and in, I think in a sense they, they're, they're washing away the, you know, they're washing away the stink or the stain of Isengard on the land. And we, you know, we spent some time on that last chapter where, um, we juxtapose, you know, the, the caves in the forest, mm-hmm. um, with Isengard and, and, you know, the two, the two places are, are wonders. Um, whereas Isengard is, is a desolation, a mimicry of Sauron, um, Sauron's desolation. And, and essentially it's like they're, as their neighbors, they've, Right. It's like in some sense you think of, you know, your neighbor having a barren wasteland of a yard and you having a beautiful garden and, you know, wonderful shrubs and flowers beautifying the land that you have. And it's like your neighbors by comparison, 
have degraded your land <laughs> by right by making theirs a desolation. Yeah. And so so in a sense, like the the ints are washing the stench of that desolation away from their borders. Yeah, and it's interesting because it does seem like that's the plan. Because as the tactics play out, um, they start getting hit with some arrows, and you know, I think Mary says that that makes Treebeard get positively hasty, <laughs> right? And and they get he started ag- to warm up. Yeah, they get aggressive, <laughs> but then but then one of the ints um, gets caught on fire and he dies, and then mm-hmm. it says that they they were terrifying that they they boiled over and that their trumpeting was so loud that it was cracking stones like that they were they were mm-hmm. so loud that they were breaking stones and they were throwing boulders and causing avalanches and and that's the point i think where you know they start hurling themselves at orthanc and it's interesting that what stops it is that saruman gives this high pitched laugh from up in the tower and and it's almost like that stops the whole thing and it cools it down. And I think and then Treebeard comes and he he talks about a plan that he had built the night before with the other ints, and then they set about to it. And it's kind of interesting because in their fury, I think they saw the only enemy as being the rock and stone. Right? But but once once they're calmed and they and, and Treebeard gets them back on pace, they remember that really truly the enemy is the wizard who's done all of this. And so they, that's when they decide that what they're going to do is they're just going to flood it out. That, mm-hmm. that what he's done is corrupted it so badly that it's not even really recognizable to what it was in its glory. When, when Isengard would have, you know, cause Aragorn upgraded, I think upbraided Mary for saying that maybe, maybe Saruman wasn't all that wise, right? That he was mm-hmm. that wise, that this, that this place was a beautiful place and it was a place of wisdom and learning, but it's all turned into ugliness. And so Treebeard interestingly says like Saruman won't repent. That's a key cog to this story. He will not, Mm -hmm. he will not confess. He doubles down, triples down. Even when he has no power at all, he triples down and he, Mm -hmm. he lies. But, but Treebeard understands that what has to happen here is that everything Saruman's done basically has to be washed away. And, Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting. I think there's some spiritual stuff to that, mm-hmm. but also the idea that, look, when when evil ye- deeds get done, um, people who are good have to wash them away. They have to work to do that. And you know, I think Saruman gets his just desserts. Um, it's a cool mm-hmm. line where where Mary talks about how maybe he doesn't have um, the kind of plain courage that Gandalf does, that he doesn't have that much grit um, mm-hmm. because maybe he, if he doesn't have a bunch of slaves around him. And, and I think it's an interesting point because from what we've talked about, I think over and over again, we've talked about Saruman as being almost the academian who is mm-hmm. living in his, you know, ebony tower for this one because Orthanc mm-hmm. is black, but, and Gandalf being the one who's out. And I think here we see that, even even Mary has started to pick that up, right? Mm-hmm. It's unimaginable that Gandalf would have just sit sit in the tower. He would have gone out with his armies, even if he was evil. Right. Yeah, and and I think it's 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 the noticing of that that that's ultimately what gets Saruman is that Saruman is thrown down because for all of his wisdom 
and for all of his learning, he didn't he didn't even pay attention to what was on his borders. Mm-hmm. Right. And what's gonna happen if you go over and you log your neighbor's land without telling them about it? Like what mm-hmm. you think's gonna happen? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but Saruman didn't think mad. Yeah. Right. Saruman didn't even think about that. He didn't even regard it as being important. He thought, Oh, right. old sleepy, funny tree beard. Right? right. And I think that's where the eyes come in again, is that Saruman looked at wisdom in the eyes numerous times and he thought it was slow, useless foolishness. Mm-hmm. And and the good guys see, you know, Gandalf especially saw because Gandalf had been planning this, right? Gandalf had been talking to Treebeard. Gandalf saw that there was immense power and wisdom in the people of Fangorn. And I, I think mm-hmm. that's another one of these just big worldview colliding things that you see in this chapter that's really delivered by like one sentence by Mary, but it, but it carries a lot of weight because we know what Gandalf does Mm -hmm. and we're going to see even more of that as the story goes on. He's, he's not hiding in any towers. Right. Yeah. No. And I think, I mean, I think we're kind of at that, at that point, right. Is, um, you know, as this, as you know, the stench is, is watched away of Isengard, then Gandalf shows up on the scene. Mm. Um, and that's an interesting section too, because, um, you know, he, <laughs> his, <laughs> his greeting of, of the hobbits is pretty funny. Um, <laughs> should I just, should I read it? Yes, please do. Um, he said, uh, or he says, I sat up staring with my mouth open because, Obviously, they had not seen Gandalf. I tried to call out and couldn't. There was no need. He halted just by us and looked down at us. Gandalf, I said at last, but my voice was only a whisper. Did he say, hello, Pippin? This is a pleasant surprise? No, indeed. He said, get up, you Tom full of a took. Where in the name of wonder and all this ruin is Treebeard? I want him quick. (laughs) Yeah, so Barry and Pippin didn't even know that Gandalf was alive. (laughs) Uh But, But that's the thing about Gandalf right is that he is in a tremendous hurry because mm-hmm. lives are on the line because mm-hmm. because Helm's Deep is under assault as this is happening and he understands yeah. the danger that he talked about in the last chapter of sitting on the edge of ruin and talking about family trees um mm-hmm. and and I would say this too that's that's not how you talk to your enemies it's how you talk to your friends mm-hmm. you know they they Gandalf Gandalf understands that and talks to him, and he's got something immensely important. And again, while Saruman, while Saruman watched his enemies leave, and then went back in, you know, to kind of David and Bathsheba fire style, like maybe light up a fire and smoke some pipe weed, you know, that he had mm-hmm. stolen from another land. That that he's sitting there while Gandalf is riding around like mad, trying to gather all the forces and trying to, to be active in the fight. And so that's, what's going to win the day, you know? And yeah, it's very notable that Saruman is, is basically a disciple of Sauron who does the same thing. Sauron sits Mm -hmm. in his tower and moves his pieces around. He, Mm -hmm. he doesn't get in the fray. He sends, you know, he sends his underlings to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the short of it, I think it's probably, you know, basically we know what, what Gandalf was up to. Um, you know, he fills in. And I do think there is an interesting part where he kind of, he takes a short time to fill in 
Treebeard. And I think it's suggestive that um, that he probably tells him more than just the Battle of Helm's Deep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with uh, likely telling him about Frodo and the Ring. Um, you know, because I think in Treebeard's looking for wisdom, he says, you know, I can deal with the rock and stone, but we have a wizard here to manage. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it says that uh, you know, Treebeard was very thoughtful after Gandalf had gone. He'd evidently learned a lot in a short time and was digesting it. Um, and he said, and this was, a, I think this is a really interesting line. Well, I find you are not such a hasty folk as I thought. You said much less than you might and know more than you should. Um, you know, and suggesting kind of to your earlier point, the, the wisdom that they've grown in um, mm-hmm. on on what's, you know, what's what they can tell and you know, the, the mission of the ring is not something for discussion. Right. Yeah, they did. They definitely knew that well. And I think it's two points come up there. I think one is this, and I'll be short with it because we've hit it multiple times. It's very interesting that Treebeard asked Gandalf for advice here. This is consistently mm-hmm. what the wise do, right? Mm-hmm. He asked Gandalf yep. for counsel on how to handle Saruman. This is, this is a general, you know, Treebeard, who just destroyed a centuries-old fortress mm-hmm. in, in a night, in one night. Yeah. And, right. <laughs> I mean, you know, think about the power that he possesses, right? The strength that his people possess. But he doesn't, he doesn't know, he understands the danger of Saruman, right? And he understands that this is a different kind of danger than the, than the fortress. And he, do, and he asks for counsel, and that's what the wise consistently do. I think the other thing that I was going to mention is that Gandalf, I think in the last episode I talked about him being a, a salesman in a way that he would leave people hanging on his words. But here we see that what Gandalf does to rally good people to the cause is that he trusts people who are in the struggle. right? So mm-hmm. so he took Theoden out and told him kind of the ways of the world. <laughs> and Theoden comes back and goes to battle. He tells he tells Treebeard here more information, right? Because Treebeard is obviously on the side that can be trusted, and that that builds even more loyalty, right? That Treebeard now is is a real piece of this puzzle that's on the greater map. And so, where this book began with all these islands, this is recap stuff, right? But where the book began with mm-hmm. all these islands, we've now got these these people that have come together, and it's. It's been mm-hmm. Gandalf matching them all, and he's what he's been doing is he's been matching them all together with truth. He's been telling yeah. them what the mission is, and I think that that's just it's awesome leadership, and it's something that we should very much learn from. Yeah. And if I go further, it's kind of thought to run with, so so I won't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think um, I think I have one more thing uh, to discuss okay. um, before we move on to the worm tongue part. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, and then whatever you've got. Um, so they talk about, uh, which it, it actually transitions. Um, they ask about Wormtongue, um, but he's, you know, he had come that morning. But he uh, basically, Treebeard comes around and finds the hobbits after they've kind of been rooting around, you know, for for a while. It says, I've just come around to see how you are faring, my lads. And to give you some news, the Heworns have come back. All is well. Aye, very well indeed. He laughed and slapped his thighs. No more orcs and Isengard. No more axes. 
um, and there will be folk coming up from the south before the day is old, some that you may be glad to see. I think it's interesting because, you know, I think you think of with someone as old. This is this is actually a little bit of a bombadil move, mm-hmm. um, because someone slapping their thighs, right? Like that's joyous, like riotous laughter. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and so, I think I think when we were introduced to Treebeard, there's a I think, and I think it's just natural. Like, there's a solemnity that comes with age and wisdom, mm-hmm. um, and and Bombadil is kind of the only character <clears throat> that sort of throws. Because Elrond has that, Celeborn and Gladriel have that. You know, Gildor has that. Not that there's not laughter, but not this like, mm-hmm. not the Bombadil dancing around and laughing and making up weird rhymes, right? Kind of kind of thing. And so there's this kind of harkens back to that for me mm-hmm. like for for treebeard to be laughing so hard that he's slapping his thighs yeah. you know he's over, he's overjoyed at the victory and i think i think it's not just the victory though i think it's overjoyed that his people are protected yeah i, I was going to say that is that i think treebeard in a lot of ways is the lesser bombadil but but what makes treebeard so happy is that his shepherding paid off right that that they they had a restrained tactical plan that they played out that they didn't just go marauding and destroy a bunch of stuff for no reason it was really it was dominion right it was control mm-hmm. it was a controlled opposition it was very strategic it was not wild and out of control like old man willow or like the mm-hmm. heworns if they hadn't had any instruction or guardrails but i think the other thing that overjoys him is that that there's these people coming and there's going to be all this reunion Right, because mm-hmm. Tre- Treebeard is very kindly too, and that's where he's very much like Bombadil. He's he's kindly, and he loves he loves beauty, and he loves people who listen and who talk and who you know enjoy good company. Because and and so Merry and Pippin really love Treebeard. They mm-hmm. they do. He becomes a dear friend to them, and yeah. and this is why is because he's not. It's not about being stoic, right? Mm-hmm. It is about being serious and i think bombadil doesn't do that because bombadil transcends all that really mm-hmm. really and truly right. cuz yeah he d- he doesn't have to do that but treebeard is a living is an organism right is a he's not immortal yeah per se like that kind of stuff he's has very long life like trees do so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that's a that's a good call on that and i think it it also transitions very well thematically because we get that like treebeard rejoices in all of this you know, this good stuff. And then we get Wormtongue who rides up and mm-hmm. Wormtongue. I mean, the very first thing he does is he lies. And, and mm-hmm. the way he lies is he tries to make himself, he, he misrepresents himself and he tries to make himself look better than he is. He, he says that he has important messages from the King, presumably mm-hmm. Theoden. And he also says that no one else would ride because there was wolves all over the place. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to up his bravery, and it, it strikes me that Wormtongue is really projecting there that he wishes he was brave, and at least some part of him wishes that he did have messages from the king. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's only to save his hide, but they see right through it, you know, because Treebeard's been yeah. told all about him, and right. and this puts Wormtongue in a really bad position. And I'll give it to you before I do the one thing I think I really wanted to do with Wormtongue, though. Okay. 
which I don't know what's coming. So okay. <laughs> hooray for me. No, I agree. I think, <clears throat> I think, um, you know, it, it is interesting that like worm tongue, I don't know. I was thinking back to, you know, the, the King of the golden hall chapter. And it's, it's really interesting because in truth, uh, Theoden was the only one who was hoodwinked by worm tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, like no one else, like obviously there's not a lot, there's no rising action against worm tongue because he has the ear of the King, but, but none of the Rohirrim were fooled by him. They knew he was a liar and hence gave him the name worm tongue, you know? And so it's interesting because like the first things out of his mouth, you know, it says that, um, you know, that is it Pippin or Mary, uh, I can't remember, but you know, he says he thought he thought to himself, "Liar," about you know every everything that Wormtongue had said as he as he comes in, um, and so I think I don't know. I think that his character is interesting. Like he he has a power with words, he but he's obviously a liar, and and his lies aren't really aren't fooling the mass of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. He's he's a he's another disciple of Saruman whose mm-hmm. thing is his lies and his voice, but he's not as effective. I think I think in some sense Denethor or uh, sorry, not Denethor, Theoden, because of the loss of his son, was probably despairing and wanted and was susceptible to just hearing despair. It's what he mm-hmm. it's a, it, in a strange way comforted him to hear stories of despair because by losing his son, I think that he thought that his legacy was crushed and that there was nothing but despair to happen. And so and so the lie hits a target because of the way the way it, it was finally crafted for Theoden only. And they know that so goes the king, so goes the people. Right? Mm-hmm. If you can get the king, it doesn't really matter if anyone else believes you or not. And right. So my thing on Wormtongue is that he's obviously a coward. Right? He mm-hmm. he projects bravery on himself and, and being a coward is is not where you want to be as a man. Right. That zero men want to be cowards. Um, yeah. But, but Wormtongue finds himself here and, and he, he carries it all the way through because he says, you know, he's like, I want to go in the tower. Treebeard says, you know, Gandalf said, lock all the rats up in one cage. Wormtongue says, I know the way. And then Theoden, or uh, sorry, Treebeard kind of gives him the what for on, Hey, I know everything. Like Gandalf already told me all this stuff. And then when Wormtongue goes in and he sees Isengard, he says, let me go away. My messages are useless. So Wormtongue at this point wants nothing to do with Saruman anymore because he bet on the wrong mm-hmm. horse. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's really interesting that Tolkien, Tolkien does this right here because he really does set the groundwork that even with the bad guys, it's, it's their own disciples that end up getting them. You know, like Saruman tried to betray Sauron already. He tried to take the ring. That's what he was doing with Merry and Pippin. He was trying to keep that whole deal secret. And then Wormtongue, he's going to end up, he fears Theoden more than he fears Saruman, which is a bad calculation, is it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what we know is that Theoden had let enemies that had come into his land and marauded his people, he let them go with an oath to not come back. But Wormtongue mm-hmm. here, he he thinks of Theoden as being cruel and he falsely 
sees Theoden as the greater threat to himself, even though Theoden is a virtuous king, and he would rather go in the hole with Saruman, because Wormtongue doesn't really see the danger of Saruman the way everyone else does in this chapter. Aragorn himself mm-hmm. says that Saruman is is dangerous probably to everyone except Gandalf, Galadriel, and Elrond. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what Aragorn says. Saruman is right. daunting with his voice, that he is someone mm-hmm. to be very cautious about and very afraid. But Wormtongue in his foolishness and his cowardice, he realizes he picked the wrong pony, and then in a strange way, he looks at the weakness of Saruman and decides that's a better place to go than Theoden. And I think that just shows the madness of evil and lies mm-hmm. and cowardice. Because being cowardly doesn't even save your own skin. It loses it. It mm-hmm. it, it ends everything that you were trying to accomplish. Right. And so that's, that's why I think Wormtongue is a really sad tale, and, and it really stuck out to me. Because in this chapter, I think Wormtongue is even worse off in this chapter than he is with all the lying and the bad counsel. Because here we really mm-hmm. truly see that he is a worm. Like it's not yeah. it's not so much the worm tongue that he's just a he's a sniveling worm that crawls on the ground. And it's mm-hmm. a really sad thing to see. And Tolkien writes it to perfection. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I got um, on a worm tongue. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of it. There's a there's a last little bit on uh, I think it's a little bit of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when they talk about the pipe weed uh, and says, you know, he says it was a fourteen seventeen crop, which is last year's or the year before. Um, and he, you know, it's interesting because the hobbits say a good year. Um, and like that's, but Aragorn, who's, who's a little more aware says, well, whatever evil is afoot is over now, I hope, or else it is beyond our reach at present. Mm-hmm. Yet I think I shall mention it to Gandalf, sm- small matter though it may seem among his great affairs. Right. That, you know. Yeah, I, I highlighted that too, Jake, because I, I do think it shows once again that they can't deal with it now, mm-hmm. but this is a matter of importance to Gandalf and Aragorn, right? The fact mm-hmm. that Saruman had pipeweed, the fact that there was um, evil orcs that kind of looked like some bad guys at Bree that they had encountered mm-hmm. there, and then and then this idea of just the trade. And, and I think Aragorn says that Saruman might have another worm tongue in the Shire, and mm-hmm. and we do know later that he does, right? Mm-hmm. That it's that it's Lotho, and mm-hmm. interestingly, this is a matter of concern to Aragorn with all the great stuff going on in the world, and I think it just shows once again that yeah they're just very different, right? It's not about yeah. utility or power; it's about freedom and protection and virtue and chivalry. Yeah. So it's a big deal that this is going on, and Gandalf right. is going to send his top people to deal with it. Mm-hmm. When the time yep. is right. <laughs> Top men. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I, I think that brings us around to the thought to run with, which I yeah. know for sure is you today. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. Um, yeah, I think um, the thing that stood out the most to me uh, r- really is the kind of tactical patience of the Ents. And so I think that um, whatever, you know, so obviously there's, there's the heat of a battle that's happening. Um, and with the, within that, the general, you know, slows him down. Cause it says that like, there's Treebeard's voice called out over the noise and they stopped. And then the Saruman laugh happens mm-hmm. and it like freezes them all. And I think it's kind of like 
Treebeard gets their attention, and the laugh of Saruman like calls them back to what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? Because they they recognize that they've they've gotten, you know, I think uh, boiled over, and and so where I'm where I'm going with that though is is I think just in the battle, whatever you know, whatever battles we're we're in, like there's there's <laughs> there's battles within relationships there's battles within families there's battles in the culture um you know some some more significant than others but regardless i think i think being able to conjure a plan and then patiently stick to your plan right it's like if if you're battling a three-year-old's you know whatever rebellion you know selfish rebellion which they all have there's there's a plan and it and it requires patience and care um, and I think that's what's exhibited here. And I think it's, I think it's a stark reminder that like, even in the heat of a, of, um, a physical, you know, war battle that sticking to the plan is, is how the, how the battle is won and being patient in the battle, mm-hmm. right. Is that they look again, they, they tore the walls down in a night, but that the battle, what they're trying to accomplish wasn't over at that point. Mm. Yeah. That's really good. I think, I think I'm going to stick with. I don't know. It was a key theme, and it's one that I, I just, I, I really want to stress, especially to guys, is that we can't be cowards. Um, it is so tempting to be a coward, uh, and mm-hmm. and the the times in my life, look, I felt I've, I've fallen a few times, and and I'll look back and know that in that moment I was a coward, that I that I acted without courage. And, and I would describe it this way. Two things is a thought to run with. Don't be like Wormtongue. What Wormtongue did was that Wormtongue never practiced courage at all. What he was always doing was he was trying to pick who he thought was going to win. And he was going to basically, I don't know what the kids say, simp for him or something. Like Basically what he was going to do <laughs> was he was going to bend over backwards to do whatever he deemed the more powerful entity was going to do. And that's... And so... When he did that, he never got to practice standing up for any principle himself or any virtue, and that that is what practices cowardice. So what we mm-hmm. have to do is we have to practice being courageous, and being courageous is what happens when we are afraid, because what will happen is we're afraid. We're afraid that if we say something that bad things are going to happen to us or somebody's going to turn on us or you know we may lose something that we value— and it's just at that moment when we have to say it. It, it, it. And I would say it this way, is the practice comes from when you're in the moment and you feel the pressure to not say it when you know it's the truth and you know that you believe it, that's when you must say it. Because mm-hmm. to not say it is to be a coward. And and I think that the problem is is that we think we think of people as being born courageous and that's not true. We're all born in sin. We're all born to be cowards because cowards end yeah. up in the lake of fire. What we have to do is we we know that we have to practice telling the truth, that we have to practice, you know, any virtue that we're going to do. We have to practice being patient. We also have to practice being courageous. And one of the ways we do that is by putting ourselves in positions where we sometimes feel that fear and then we act anyway. And I would suggest that the best practice when you haven't done that much is in kind of low leverage situations. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the first one doesn't need to be when, if you don't put the rainbow flag on your screensaver or whatever, that you're going to get fired from your job. 
that that is jumping into the big leagues without having any minor league experience. And I think that what we mm-hmm. got to do is we got to look for minor league experience. And and I think that's mm-hmm. what Warm Tongue doesn't do. So that is my thought to run with. And I don't I don't know how many chances I would get to do on that one, but I think it it provided a good opportunity. Yeah. So this episode um, definitely had a little bit more meat than I thought it would <laughs> when we started. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty happy with it, but. Um, you know, I'll lay this. I'll lay the uh, the cliffhanger out there. Hopefully, Gandalf style. Um, join us next time on the Way Lesser Inklings for one of the best chapters in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Until then, take care.